Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Jill Hazard-Rowe. Welcome to the podcast, Jill. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. And by way of background, Jill is one of um, the ally moms of a gay son that I first connected with when I stepped in this space. So she is a, has been and continues to be a mentor to me. It was very helpful for me to hear from particularly moms of LGBTQ children as they have been walking this road, seeking personal revelation, have a unique perspective on how to keep their children safe and in a healthy way and moving forward in their lives. So um, Jill is somebody that I've really admired, and I think you'll enjoy her as a guest. By way of background, she has um, six kids, including a gay son, Hunter, um, that's how she got in this space. Four grandkids, lives in Drapers, lived in Draper for a long time. Um, grew up in San Jose, California, served a mission in Idaho. And um, also we're going to talk about the podcast that Jill started. Um, it's called, I believe, Human Stories. And I'll read you a description of that podcast. I encourage everybody to check it out. Host Jill Hazard-Rowe goes in depth with some of today's most inspiring and touching LGBTQ stories. There is something here for everyone to learn as we come together to celebrate our shared humanity. So I encourage everybody, we'll, leave, we'll talk about the podcast then, to check out Jill's um, podcast. Um, is that okay from a bio standpoint? Did I get the number of kids right and all that stuff? You did. Just one, one Good. Um, very important fact you left out. I'm married. Yes. Tell us your husband's <laughs> name and how many years you've been married. Lee, sorry about that, yeah. Lee, if you're listening. So Lee and I met in the Stanford Third Ward in uh, the Bay Area, and we got married in 1986. So do the math. I don't know. We're super old. That's over 30 years. I yeah. can tell that. Yeah. So we're still married. We still like each other. So it's all good. And this is, <laughs> it is good. And I've had the chance to meet Lee and you guys do great together. And this is a wonderful family. I've crossed paths with your son, um, Conrad, a little bit. Um, just take us back to um, Hunter and what age he came out. And just, I think this is helpful for other mothers, parents that are f first stepping into this space with that initial conversation that they've got an LGBTQ child. All right. Um, if you don't mind, can I tell you, can Good. I share Just, with the audience a little bit of my perspective of being gay or being LGBTQ before my own son came out? Um, I really believed it was a choice or an, and an abomination. Before we moved to Utah in 2001, we lived in uh, Rancho Santa Margarita, California. And during that time, um, before Prop 8, there was Prop 22. I was uh, in a leadership position. I was the Louise Society president at that time. And I was asked by my leaders to canvas the neighborhoods and get, you know, signatures and to defend traditional marriage, which I was completely on board with. Like, oh, yeah, traditional marriage, traditional marriage. So I was a very, I would consider myself a very orthodox Mormon. I really didn't question things. I really just did whatever I was asked to do. I found a lot of joy and fulfillment in just in, in serving and doing the things that were required of me. Well, on November 6, 2011, uh, my fourth child, Hunter, came out to me. He had come out to his father earlier in the day, and that's Lee's story to tell. Um, Hunter was scared to tell me, but I told Lee to tell Hunter that he had to tell me. <laughs> wonder why he was scared that he had to tell me. So on a Sunday evening in our bedroom, um, Lee brought Hunter up, and Hunter said, Mom, I have something to tell you. I'm gay. And I just cried. Of course, I told him I loved him, but um, I cried because all the things that passed through my mind is like, uh, what's his life going to be like? Um, is he going to be safe? What's this mean to his eternal salvation? What would this mean with his relationship to the church, you know? Because as a mom, you always feel like you can make everything right. <laughs> But this was way 
over my pay grade. <laughs> I had no idea how to proceed. But two things happened that evening. It's a long night, but two things happened. And the first thing that came to me is we believe in a pre-existence and we believe that our spirits existed from the beginning of time. And I had the confirmation that Hunter is perfect, that God created him in his image and that as his mother, that I was to love and protect and to sustain him, to walk this path with him. Just give me a second. (laughs) The second thing that came to me is that Hunter had fought for his agency before he came to this earth and that there was no mistake that he was my son. And these two things brought me a lot of comfort, but I still played gymnastics in my mind about how to make the church fit with my gay son. And I started um, doing my own research, researching the church's stance on my LGBT siblings. Um, And none of it was good. None of it was good. None of it (laughs) brought me any kind of comfort. So um, I just kept Googling and researching. And in fact, okay, so Hunter, we didn't tell anyone. And one of my children was living with me with us and her husband. And I was crying constantly. And she kept saying, mom, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I can't tell you, I can't share with you. I can't. And one day I was taking a shower and she went to the computer. And because I am not a computer genius, I had like 50 tabs up. (laughs) She knew exactly what was going on. So she came up and talked to me and said, mom, I know why you're so sad. Hunter's gay. And I said, yeah, how did you know? And she told me how. And It was just a very lonely, lonely time. It was a time where I had to question myself as a mom. What had had I done? Was this my fault? If it was my fault, I would do anything to make things right. So a lot of struggling, Richard, like trying to keep the... um, church or the doctrine that I have been taught intact while also trying to figure out my own son. At some point, I was empowered with um, answers to my prayers and also with the strength to follow those promptings. I'd never really had that in my life before. I would always was such an obedient Mormon. You know, I was a lazy Mormon. I look at it now. And um, this was the first time in my life that I started feeling empowered with the answers I was given. And so um, I met with other women and a group called Mama Dragons was eventually created. Um. I feel like this group would have been created without me. I think that God or whatever's bigger than all of this is counting on us to bring attention to those that are being marginalized. But what a great honor it was to be in that group in the beginning and the um, cherished, cherished friendships I have with those women. So there you go. I mean... I just sort of uh, having your child come out, one of your children come out just challenges everything that you've ever been taught. And I have to say this in in pure honesty, it's a blessing. Why? Because it forced me to get up and personal with my maker. Forced me to get on my knees and say, hey, now what? who is this child you gave me? And to receive all those answers about this child that he entrusted me with. That's power. You know, for me, I'd, I'd been such a good follower, but now I, I was been giving answers. And I, I know that God has been expect, expects me to follow out on the answers that I've been given. 
if I've got my facts right, Hunter was 17 when he came out to you and he's... Yeah, he was 17. And he's eight years older than that now. So you've been eight years in this space. Mm-hmm. Well, 2011, so it'll be ninth year on November ninth year, 6th. Ninth year. <laughs> I love the way you know the exact date. Oh, uh, yeah. Some dates stick with you forever. One of the doctrines that I believe in is the personal revelation that moms in particular have for their kids. And when I stepped in this space, I was drawn to stories like yours because I just figured I've always believed in, in, in that, that personal revelation. So I was drawn to your type of stories and the things that you were feeling about your LGBTQ children as you went to your, as you went to God. Mm -hmm. And I love some of those things you just mentioned. Talk to other parents that, I mean, it's kind of two questions. What would you say to yourself? It's eight years later. And if you could go back and talk to yourself, what what would you say to yourself eight years ago? And this is kind of what you'd say to new parents on this road. When your child comes out? Yeah. Well, first of all, when they come out to you, recognize what a sacred moment that is. It's something that they've had to carry by themselves for Depending, but for my son, he, he knew he was different since, since kindergarten. So realize the sacred moment you're having with your child. The first words that come out of your mouth should be, I love you. No buts, just I love you. And you have plenty of time to cry <laughs> out of their range and to plead with God and to get the answers that you may need. But at that time, it needs to be about your child and they need to know that you love them unconditionally, that you will be there with them, that you will walk with them and that you will figure this out together. You know, other conversations come with time. Like you will never, ever be outside the circle of our love. Your partner, you, whoever is in your life is always welcome in our home. You always have a place at our table. So a couple of things I wish I would have done for those parents that maybe have kids that have come out recently. I wish I would have kept a journal. I was, I was a really good, I was a really good, uh, journal keeper on my mission and pre-marriage. But as soon as I met Lee and started real life, I never kept a journal and I was prompted time and time again to keep a journal after my son came out and I didn't. And I really wish I would have shared my thoughts and feelings on paper. Why? Because I've changed so much. You know, I went from such a vulnerable state trying to figure things out to, to, um, getting answers to being empowered with the answers I've received to, becoming a better person through the LGBTQ um, people in my life for the things I've learned, for the things they've taught me. So the th- ways it affected my family, the ways it affected my membership in the church, just so many things. Like I'm such a different person and I think I'm better. <laughs> I don't know, but I wish that um, my posterity had those words to read. Great suggestions. Other suggestions that come to mind or thoughts? Well, the second thing, and I don't know how you do this any differently because it just consumed me after Hunter came out, but I had other children, you know, he, I, Conrad, um, my oldest son had just left on his mission. Hunter came out three months after he left. And so I was trying to be a good missionary mom. And then I was dealing with this new information. And then I had a 14 year old and 11 year old and the 14, 11 year old were pretty much on their own. And I really wish, um, that I would have done things differently. So I would encourage parents out there. It's overwhelming and it's going to take a lot of time just to get the answers you need and to proceed with a lot of different issues, but don't forget you have other kids, you know, that, that need your love, that need your attention and, and need, um, your guidance. So. it's great advice. Yeah. From the days of prop 22, if that's what it's called uh-huh. and some of the 
assumption, this is sort of my story too, is I had made a lot of assumptions and sort of my internal hard drive of, of opinions about LGBTQ people. Um, then I had a couple of gay people as a YSA bishop and I recognized everything changed. That's sort of like, it's not as dramatic an experience as your own son coming out like Hunter, but I recognized a lot of things I picked up um, were not accurate. Just talk about some of the things as you now were learning about this space that you had picked up that then you had to set aside. Oh, the old me? Just, yeah, the old me. <laughs> the old me, I just thought it was an abomination and a choice, obviously, choice. you know. How long did it take you to say it's not a choice? Did that come instantly? Did that take a while? It came really instantly. Why? Because it was my kid. Because it was my kid. And we have six kids and we were that Mormon family. We read scriptures every morning. We, when I was at Release Side Prison in California, we got up at 6 a.m. so we could all read scriptures and eat breakfast together because our evenings were crazy. We, I taught seminary. I, you know, Lee and I have served in every capacity. I mean, the church was our life. And so as soon as one of our kids shared with us that he is gay, I'm smart enough to know everything I thought I knew on the subject was incorrect. Did you, and thanks for being so honest, because that's my story too. Um, talk, talk to our listeners about this idea that, um, that Hunter could change his sexual orientation. Did you ever go down that road that this is a phase or Hunter's confused or he saw a TV show or... <laughs> Did you, or I did something wrong. Parents sometimes self-internalize and yeah. say, I, dad traveled. It's like Tom Christopherson's parents' story. Dad traveled a lot. Yeah. So they thought it was their fault for a little bit. And yeah. Did you, any of that oh, part I of think, your journey? I think as a parent, anytime your child's going through a difficult time or something you don't understand, you take on that burden thinking there was something you did to make that happen. But, um, and of course, you're thinking of every option. Is there such thing as conversion therapy? Is it a phase? But all those thoughts, really, I have to be honest, did not last long in our heads because something told us, probably because we had a couple of friends with gay children and we'd seen their their um, path, um, that we moved on very quickly from all that kind of terminology in our head or our thinking. It was like, nope, this is who he is. God created him. He's perfect. And um, how do we proceed from here? That's great. Tell our listeners just about Hunter. If if you were introducing him to our <laughs> listeners, what would you say about Hunter? And this is funny because, you know, my own podcast, I never mention his name. So Hunter, I hope it's okay mentioning your name. Um, Hunter was always our kid that was getting in trouble, like breaking things, got the sticky guy behind our, our grandfather clock once and pushed over the grandfather clock to get it. I think maybe Conrad told him to do that. Conrad would be like, Hey Hunter, here's a snake, go get the snake. So Hunter had no fear. He was like my really like adventurous kid. Right. Um, but also really tenderhearted. I, looking back, like me and him battled a lot over homework because he's ADD. And so I was always on him about finishing the, his fifth assignment to turn it in. And we always had that kind of relationship, which I regret um, because I think he was struggling with a lot of things. That was camouflaged by things that really weren't that important. Hunter became, before he came out, he just didn't seem like he had very many friends and he would just spend a lot of time by himself. Um, but after he came out, I saw light in his eyes. I saw his countenance change. He's a dancer. He goes to the U. He'll graduate uh, this next semester. He is an artist. He is creative. I think his mind never stops. Uh, it's always going and thinking about the next project or the next move. He teaches kids. He has a huge heart. He's compassionate. And he can also be a pain in the butt. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my other kids are going, who the heck are you talking about? 
<laughs> if you're listening, Hunter, you know, you, I don't know you, but I just love the tribute your mom gave you. <laughs> um, and these wonderful attributes you have often focus on other people. I'm glad you're working with children. I'm glad you're teaching. I'm glad you're um, acting in all your gifts. Um, a question came to mind that just went out of my mind about Hunter. Um, but I'll ask this question. Um, I, I, a lot of LGBTQ kids coming out of really active LDS families step away from the church. Has that been Hunter's path or is he mm -hmm. in the church? He is not in the church. After he came out his junior year, my husband asked him if he would please just come to church with us on Sundays. I said, hey, come on, Hunter, I'll tickle your back. You can lay on my lap. And he had no problem with that. You know, we just put it under the guise that we do this as a family. I think we were trying to keep together what we knew as long as we could, you know. And um, then one conference, we were gathering our children to come watch conference on TV and Hunter's a little ADD, so he doesn't move too fast. So I'm like, come on, Hunt, come on, let's go. Finally, he makes it out to the TV just in time to hear a talk that was really, really hurtful for our LGBT members. That was sort of a breaking point for our family. My husband and I decided that we needed to give him a choice. If he wanted to step away from the church or not, and, uh, yeah. So, of course, the healthy thing for him to do is to step away from the church, which there's something incredibly wrong with that sentence. My husband and I have spent our lives, like, serving missions and being the rescuers and serving our callings, and and then we have to be okay with letting our child walk away from the church because there's no place for them. So I see this with a lot of kids that are not just in the LDS um, religion, but in a lot of Orthodox religions, when they're rejected, they feel like, well, then there is no God, right? It makes sense because we're taught it's the only true church, right? So if we're rejected from that philosophy, then I think it makes so much sense that you don't believe in God anymore. So Hunter does believe in God now. He's had his own spiritual um, awakening, and I won't speak for him, but our last discussion, he shared some things with me, and so that makes me really happy. I, um, you know, and it, for those listeners that don't believe in God, that's fine too. I still... I still love you. Like, you know, spirituality and a religion are two different things. And I'm just grateful that my, my son has found a spiritual aspect to his life that can bring full, full, full that can bring fulfillment to him. And that makes me really happy. Thanks for sharing that. It's my heart goes out to you as, as we, you know, I'm kind of your age, six kids, and we have these hopes raising kids that all of our kids will be, in the family circle in the church, and it's complicated, and I think it's especially complicated when LGBTQ child comes along. And um, uh, for our listeners, you may have heard, I just have learned to sort of let people self-determine the the best road for them. Um, and so, I, if as I'm meeting with LGBTQ people, I invite them to stay. I did this as a YSA bishop, but I'll kind of let them self-determine what they think is the best road for them. And then I'll just honor that. I'll walk alongside of them and leave any judgment to our Savior and recognize in a family situation, my goal is to keep our family circled together and and keep everybody healthy. And I've, I've just aware of the... So I'm just aware of the... As I've listened to these stories, and some would say, well, you just got to stay in the church and be celibate and everything will be okay. And I... I just recognize after this meeting with so many that, you know, multiple years, decades of being alone is really overwhelming. Um, and some people need a life partner. I don't look at that as a weakness. I don't look at it as turning away from God. I just, I look at it as just um, people determining the best path for them. And my job is then just to honor that journey. Are you okay with all that? Or is there, do you want to add? Mm. Are you, 
<laughs> and if you're in a different, slightly different space than that, that's fine. This is your pot, your well, chance to share your story. First, I honor everybody's journey. That's that's just a given. I do, and I do through what I've learned through all of this. Is spirituality is different than a, a church or a religion, and um, I have seen talking to so many LGBTQ individuals on my own podcast and outside the podcast through the years of going to different functions, that the church is very damaging. And so it's, it's hard, but it's true that usually these individuals cannot be completely healthy until they've stepped away. So really it's the church's responsibility to change their doctrine and to, and to, and I don't want to say doctrine to change their position on where our LGBTQ brothers and sisters fit into the gospel plan. Cause I don't know about you, but I mean, as a missionary taught, it's the only true church. And so I'm like, well, if this is the only true church, there better be a place for everybody. <laughs> and if there isn't, then there's a problem. You know, I remember telling my Bishop, um, I know that my son is perfect. I am not going to tell him that. And in the next breath, tell him to be okay with God. You must live a celibate life. That's psychological damage. Man was not meant to be alone, you know? And um, I think, I think it's really important to understand the different, difference between being chaste and living a celibate life. chased, you know, because a lot of times I'll hear people say to me, well, how about the, the older women in the church that haven't been married or men, you know, what about them? They have, you know, they're alone. And I'm like, well, yeah, but the church has dances and activities. And if you bring someone to church, everyone's like, hallelujah, how you doing? Come over for dinner. You know, there's all this camaraderie when you, when you are when you're dating someone and you're being chased, right? There's all this opportunity. There's single sites. There's, there's encouragement that you find love and you find a companion. And there's that hope, which as humans we need. And then with our LGBT brothers and sisters, when we say celibate, that means you can't even look at someone and be attracted to them. You cannot hold hands. You cannot cuddle. You cannot go on a date. You cannot go to a dance. So I hope that the audience understands the difference and what we're really asking some of God's children to do. And thanks for just sharing that. You, um, and I think it's good for our listeners to recognize how difficult it is for LGBTQ members because then it develops more empathy for the unique road. I had occasion to visit with a man maybe my age who's straight and married, but he in his 40s was still unmarried. And I listened to him talk, and he talked about all this time in his 20s and 30s and even early 40s, if I've got the dates right, was preparing for his eventual marriage, reading books about being a father, reading books about being a good husband. And so to your point, all his hopes were still intact. He was praying at night to find a wife, and so he wasn't locked down emotionally to prevent, you know, falling off the covenant path to happen to him if, because his, he had a place. Mm -hmm. um, and I just recognize that that same individual, if he were gay and trying to stay in the church, he would just be in lockdown mode. He wouldn't have the hope you talk about. He, and, and I just recognize the emotional toll. I remember my days at BYU dating and a, a lot of the fueling for my academic success and my wanting to get good grades and have a career was my eventual wife and family. And that hope kind of fueled me in some ways academically and professionally. Um, and that became a reality as I got married. And I just, I kind of take myself back to my BYU days because there's just a lot of LGBTQ BYU that I'm connected to. And I just wonder how I would feel if that hope were taken out. Would my grades be the same? Would I want to get into graduate school? Would I want to get that really good job? Because mm -hmm. a lot of that was to provide for my future family. Mm -hmm. And that vision, if that hope had been taken off the table, it just I recognize 
the complexity of that situation. And I sometimes talk about, you know, the church ought to be the balm of Gilead equally for the a straight 13-year-old kid and a gay 13-year-old kid. And the mom in particular, or not in particular, equally should have hope. Yeah. Um, and And right now, when a mom of a 13-year-old kid or a 17-year-old kid finds out she is a gay kid, she's full of fear. Mm-hmm. With all the questions you should have said at the beginning of this podcast, and I think to me where the church needs to get, and I sort of don't know how to get there or don't sort of advocate how to do that. Um, and um, I just think it needs to get to the point where if you have a 17-year-old son that comes out, that doesn't you're not full of fear and it doesn't consume you. And you have just as much hope and it's the balm of Gilead, not only for you as a parent, but also for your LGBTQ child. So we just have work to do. Yeah. And I think, I think fear is just one of the emotions you have as a parent. I think you go through all of them, but at some point you also, um, for me anyway, let go, let go, put it in someone's hands, much (laughs) my savior, um, I still feel very connected spiritually to something bigger than all of this. And so I think when we can learn to let go and, and, and there's no fear now because my husband and I have allowed my husband, my son to have a path. We have allowed him, we have empowered him to know he's perfect that, you know, I don't know if he'll ever get married, but he knows that we would love for him to be married. He sometimes asks, don't you think I'd be a good dad? Yeah, you would be a good dad. And that's another sort of difficult part about this whole journey is because in the church, it's all about families. Our LGBT kids sang the same songs, had the same hopes, learned the same scriptures in primary and young men's and young women's. And then all of a sudden they're outside of that because they're created differently. You know, so as parents, A lot of times we have to step in the role to create and walk a path with our kids so that they do have hope and that they do have a future and they do get excited about getting up in the morning and living. Talk about... um, Can I just say one other thing? There's, I know several people that have chosen to stay in the church that are celibate and I love them and I have the greatest respect for them and I know that staying in the church has uh, many different dimensions to it, but I just want to give a shout out because I honor your path and um, someone choosing a celibate lifestyle and then someone being told they have to live a, a celibate lifestyle is two different things. So I just wanted to clarify that. And I love the maturity of some of the allies and parents that I meet that have been in the space the longest kind of get to that point where they just honor everybody's path and they are really careful to take someone else's path and say, this is how you do it. Yeah. And so I, I like that. Um, and I like the way you're also illustrating the dif- difficulty of, of just this road. I think that just brings more empathy and understanding. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've noticed as I've been in the space is, yeah, lots of LGBTQ children step away mm-hmm. from really traditional believing Latter-day Saint families. And then the way the reward responds to the family can often be the difference between the family staying, the whole family staying or the whole family leaving. And often I see as parents like you're supporting Hunter and want him to find a husband and just sort of feel this is the right path for him and have received pretty good confirmation that if the family then says, if, the, if you feel judged in your family circle, in your ward circle, or they feel like you're not standing up for doctrine or create this dichotomy that you, you're, it, it then, instead of just embracing you as a family and saying, we're just going to love you as you love your kid the, the way that, you, the best way you know how, and you have the responsibility to do that. And we're not going to just talk about how that can be really hard okay. for families. And it's kind of you talking to local leaders and other ward members that say, I want to support families the best way I can. I don't want to make mistakes that may have been made in the past. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so just a a little history about me. When I, Prop 22, then Prop 8, so we lived in Utah. But I remember hearing that um, 
families were leaving the church over Prop 8 in California. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, they must not have very strong testimonies. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, I just thought, who would go away, fall away from the church because their kid's gay or whatever? I get it. I get it. I am in a space where I see incredible families walking. I moderate a group um, for Mormon parents with LGBTQ kids. I see the pain every day. I see the things that we have to deal with, the things we have to hear, the way our leaders may talk to us. So you're asking Richard for suggestions. Um, first of all, you cannot deny that it affects the family. Most of my family is not engaged with the church anymore. My husband and I were um, unfairly, I think, treated by our leaders because we supported gay marriage. That's a whole different podcast, and I won't go in great detail, but a lot of times people in the church say, we've never heard of anything like that happening, or people, you know, they don't understand what families are going through when they support their um, LGBTQ loved one. So I just want to share a little bit of that so that the audience understands that there can be consequences as you support your child. What can our brothers and sisters do for us? If you're in a teaching position, you can teach correct doctrine. Always assume someone in your class is either from the LGBT community or a family member of someone that is from that community. My straight kids heard lots of hurtful things in classes, which made them eventually not want to participate anymore. For the leaders, just sit with us. Give us room. Give us room to, to have um, God answer our prayers and give us inspiration. And even though it's, we may seem crazy <laughs> with some of the answers we're given, maybe just be still and let us take a, the lead a little bit. I've never felt more guided than since when Hunter came out. My husband and I um, got in trouble after we marched in a pride parade. We had our recommends taken from us. And I share that because I know what the spirit is. I've served a mission. I've served in leadership callings. I've, I've served with the youth. I've taught seminary. I know what the spirit is. And walking with Mormon building bridges in the gay parade was one of the most spiritual experiences I've had in my life. I've hugged kids that have said, I wish my mom would hug me like this. I've cried with people that have no family support. I feel a great calling in all of this. You know, I don't know how I'm pictured from my ward members. I'm probably, we're that inactive family. We're that family now. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're that family now. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that label because this journey has been so incredibly sacred. I love my LGBT brothers and sisters. I feel like the church has a completely wrong um, that's probably not something you want me to say on this podcast, but I hope for the day that, um, those that want to be part of the church are welcomed with open arms. Just, it's good. I think it's good that we hear how you feel. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, I'm being very calm. Well, you have a great spirit about it, so it's hard to just, <laughs> I honor how parents feel because um, they are walking this road with their LGBTQ kids. Yeah. And I recognize that, I think our listeners know I love our church and I want it to succeed and grow. And I recognize yeah. that we have more work to do in this space and in, in, in lots of areas, but the two that particularly come to mind is we're all alike unto God and everybody should have the same balm of Gilead experience. And, Mm -hmm. our LGBTQ members are not. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's just a reality of the situation. I think most hopefully can agree that we just have more work to do. But then I think um, we also have more work to do how we minister to families that have an LGBTQ child. And we've seen, it, you've got to, I love the advice you gave, but often we create a dichotomy where you've got to choose between the church or your child. Yeah. Or you're not standing up for the doctrine of our church if you allow your child to leave or even support them in a gay marriage or walk in a pride parade. And yeah. it's this binary that I think, um, to me, I don't have to sell out anything to um, support a child that goes, in, uh, you didn't sell out any of our doctrine to do what you're doing, to keep your family together. Because to me, that is our doctrine. Yeah. Is strong families and keeping the family circled together. And the core of our faith is strong families. Yeah. And even if Hunter chooses to find a husband, I recognize there's a lot of ways to do life outside the church, but it's often my experience that if Hunter has the support of his family, he's going to make better choices. And he's more likely to stay connected to God and just and walk that road in a much more thoughtful way because he feels the love of his family as he's making his way forward in life. Yeah. And I, I think that hopefully that's true for all my kids because it's been a rough journey, you know, that their um, involvement or engagement in the church does not define how much I love them. You know, this has been a difficult, difficult road for all of us. And, um, I just keep thinking about what you said, like, what can we do for the families? I mean, just uh, ask us questions. Don't be afraid of us. It's not contagious. (laughs) I mean, ask, I was thinking about it today. Like my son Hunter did go to a dance thing a couple of nights ago. And he said that our Bishop was there. Well, Hunter doesn't know that he's our Bishop at this point, but I'll give a shout out to Clint Sanderson uh, Hunter was so excited, said Clint and Jacosa were there and I sat with them and I talked to him. I just really like him. He's just such a good guy. And I said, you know, he's our bishop, right, Hunter? He's like, what? He is? Oh, he's such a good guy, you know, and um, just just be genuinely interested. What in, is this bishop doing that's good? Uh, uh, probably Clint just came into the world like this. He's just br- just very genuine, just a very good person. Just Have you um, opened up to him about how you feel? Yeah, so I think, how long has it been? I lost a very close friend, Berta, to suicide. Berta. And about did me in because she was really, really, really a bright star when Hunter came out and gave me a lot of advice and guidance. And she was such an incredible person. And I just uh, texted my bishop and I said, I'm at the end of my rope. I need to talk to you. And to be honest, by the time the appointment was set up, I thought, I really don't know what I have to say. Like, I'm just so tired of talking about all of this, you know, really sort of just moved on. But um, my bishop allowed me just to go in and talk for like an hour and a half about everything, like how I don't go to the temple, how I'm not comfortable there. Well, my recommend was taken, but now that I can have one, how things have changed for me and um, how I feel like when I go to church, there's two narratives in lessons, like the world against us and why leave people leave the church. And I told him, Bishop, people aren't leaving the church because they don't read their scriptures, you know. And I shared with him the pain that I have felt and that I see. Um, I told him, when you see me in sacrament, know that it wasn't easy for me to open those doors. Um, I just shared everything for an hour and a half. And this dear man just let me listen. Like he just listened to me. He didn't say, well, sister Ro, let's see, how can we get you back on, you know, where you want to go to the tent? He just, nothing. He just like gave me permission to feel everything I was feeling. That was so empowering to me. And just, you know, he just told me he loved me, that he was aware of our family. And yeah, so. Did that make you, I mean, how did that just talk to us about how you felt emotionally afterwards? 
Um, I felt very relieved, even though he was part of the bishopric when a lot of things happened to our family. I felt relieved that I could just be really, really honest with him without no judgment from him, that I still felt like he feels like I'm a good person and that I'm doing what I've been called to do, even though it might be not in a traditional role within the church. Um, it's funny because when I, there was about a year, a little over a year period where we couldn't serve in any capacity, my husband and I, and during that time, because we supported gay marriage, let's be clear on that. And during that time, like, it feels like to me, God took me out of that building and put me into areas and situations where he wanted me to do his work. So, hey, everything happens for a reason, right? Everything does. I love what that bishop did. I, I didn't have the tools to do that when I was a bishop to start. I, th I just thought as I sat in that chair, my job was kind of to defend the doctrine, to stand up for the church. Um, I recognize now that I can do both. Um, yeah. He didn't sell out any doctrine or anything to do what he did with you. He just did what I think Christ would do. He's just sat with you. He sat with, um, there's examples in the scriptures, you just sat with people in their pain. Yeah, um, he just sat with me. I, I expressed how I, I saw like before all of this, I thought women were treated equally in the church. A lot of situations and things happened. I shared them with, you know, and he was just, he just listened. He didn't make me seem crazy. And my experience <laughs> is that then if there's someone has a wedge between them and the church, if a bishop does what that bishop did, it doesn't deepen the wedge. It doesn't sort of validate them. And, well, no, I've deepened the wedge because I've listened to my experiences. And I wouldn't do this in a manipulative way, but it, it lessens the wedge a little bit. And it makes them feel a little more connected, at least to that leader that's willing to listen. Yeah, and, and often it, it can be very healing. It's just helping someone move on from a difficult prior experiences. So I just think what your bishop did is a core principle of ministering. Yeah, he's a good man. And I think that hopefully that he learned something from me being so open too. I mean, I'm I'm hoping it wasn't just me benefiting. I'm hoping that I was well, really able maybe point. to teach him and to let him understand how it feels to be on the outside through all of this. Really good point. And um, I love that you suggested that, and I think it's probably happening. Um, I remember the question I wanted to ask. It's back to Hunter and in this group. Will you tell our listeners the name of this group and its purpose and who can join this group? Sure. So the group is called I'll Walk With You, and it's a Facebook group, um, completely private. It's for Mormon parents with LGBTQ children. We actually vet people before we let them in. Um, we want it to be a safe place where people can really express how they're feeling without being judged or ridiculed. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so we add probably 10 to 15 people a week. Uh, interesting thing about I'll Walk With You is it was actually started by five L um, gay individuals. They really felt... Uh, 2014, they that they felt it very important for parents to not leave the church, if at all possible, to be able to stay and maybe create change within our chapels. Um, I think I looked yesterday. I think we have 1,400 members. Um, it's just a very sacred place. Uh, it gets a little tricky during conference and other things because we're all on a little bit different paths, but we all speak the same language. We all understand the pain and um, that is inflicted on us. And uh, sometimes I just wish someone that could make a change could see the hearts that are being broken the stories and the situations that people are dealing with. Um, so that's, that's where I choose to minister is to other parents and to other moms. And particularly, you know, I have to say like Hunter just danced on his way after he came out. <laughs> Not that he has a perfect life or, or has made all good decisions, but I'm just saying like being gay has never really 
been something that he struggled with once he came out. And so probably within a year after he came out, I realized like my journey has little to do with my own son and a lot to do with other kids that maybe don't have that support or do have that support, but just need another listening ear or a safe place. Um, You've been kind enough to let me join that group as an exception since I don't have any LGBTQ kids and I've that group. And I know that's not a policy you're trying to. (laughs) So please, if you don't have LGBTQ kids, don't ask to join that group. I don't want to start a precedent there, but (laughs) the group has been very helpful for me to hear all those stories. Talk about your pinned post. Um, and just, do you, you just the picture? Oh, the you, pictures. Yeah. It's the very first post, I guess, in our Facebook group. Yeah. You can anchor one of the first, just talk about that picture yeah. and then what you invited everybody else to do. Yeah. I don't know how that, it, so how that happened is after the policy came out, I wanted to remind the church and the world and my neighbors and anybody on Facebook that we have kids <laughs> that you're talking about our kids. So we just started this huge, long thread, um, sharing our kids pictures. And so it's pinned in this group, I'll walk with you. And so there's a couple of pictures of me and Hunter and a couple of pictures. And I talked about him a little bit. And then I think we have, I mean, I'd have to look, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of our LGBTQ children and what they're doing in the world. And, you know, we're just, we're just there for each other, man. We love each other's kids. We we're going to show up at the weddings. We're going to we're going to assist in any way we can to give our kids a path of hope and happiness and fulfillment. Um, and I love that. I've just loved seeing all the pictures and I've loved yeah. seeing the pride of the parents in their, in their kids' pictures. Every one of those pictures that's posted and every comment from a parent is a proud parent of their LGBTQ children. And I've thought, wouldn't that be cool if that were a book <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, because it's just this wonderful tribute of parents to their LGBTQ kids. And yeah. it's one thing to read the copy, but it's another thing to look at the picture. Yeah, you And can. you're right. You've got, and your picture with Hunter is not just, there's some, you're leaning into each other. Oh, Hunter's. Yeah. One of them is Hunter's laying on my chest. And I just thought <laughs> and he's like, there's my something baby. symbolic about that picture as I've seen that anchored at the front of that Facebook group that's thought that's symbolic of what this group is doing yeah, and what parents are doing. Yeah. And not everybody's parents, not everybody's perfect. And that's why some of us are listening to this podcast and hearing stories from you because that's how I learn. Yeah. I had to learn from people like you, Jill, and, and LGBTQ people. I had to be willing to hear the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that makes me uncomfortable, I'll be honest, but that's how I grow. Right. And I've learned to lean in that pain, and it stretches me, and it causes me to feel uncomfortable, and I go on long walks sometimes. Um, but it's how I grow, mm-hmm. and it's how I do better, and I think that's part of all of us just improving as a society and church is being willing to hear the stories and recognize the pain and, and kind of lean into that and, and be okay with the dissidence and the challenge of that. Um, my brother has a quote for that. Some of you, he has adult children that have stepped away from the church. And this was shared in an LDS living article. And you can comment on this Jill, cause I think it's what you're doing. At our house, my wife and I still talk about no empty chairs, but we also talk, but we talk about having no empty chairs at the dinner table, around the pool, on a vacation, at their life events, and in all the chairs from our children's lives. And so he's taken that worry of empty chairs in the next life that some of us worry about and saying, I, I, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to talk about keeping my family together. Any thoughts on that? Um, well, I shared with you before we started the podcast, how I used to always be so scared about like that, what prophet said, no empty chairs, you know, you have to work really hard, like no empty chairs. And I was that mom, like, you're all doing this. Here's your plan. And you're all going to do this. There's going to be no empty chairs. And through this whole journey, I've realized like, "Mm, no, my family's passed the test. Like the covenant to me is love. And uh, my family has no empty chairs. Even if someone can't make the boat trip, their chair's still there. <laughs> Even if someone doesn't, Hunter doesn't like to come home very often, but his chair's still there. Like 
hopefully he always knows he's welcome and that we're excited to see him. Well, Caleb doesn't come home very much either. Caleb, come home. You know, so as our kids get older and, and create their own lives and, and things like that, you know, we may not see them all together that often, but like symbolically, we are together. We are together. Like, I feel like we passed the test, you know, we passed the test. We all really, really, really like each other. And to me, those are paydays and it's what, and that comes back to strong families. You brought up Berta and um, um, I'm writing a book as some of our listeners know, and I, with, I pulled in Berta's quote, um, from a Facebook post that she wrote and that then was included in her obituary. And I'm sure you're familiar with this, but I'll read that for our listeners because it helped me. Um, I, and this is Berta speaking. I know it's important to try to protect our hearts, to explain the suffering of others, to keep our own hearts from hurting or being confronted with dissidents. I do this sometimes, I think. But please, if you can, try not to explain away our suffering in order to feel emotionally or spiritually comfort and comfortable. We are taught to have a ready answer in all things. If you can, mourn for us, for we are mourning. I know that to many, we are the unwashed, the Samaritan. We are, and I'm scrolling down if I can do it. We are, I've got to find my little mouse here, listeners, sorry, in the middle of this. Oh, no, I went way up. I just, um, let me just, um, I'll start in the, just where I left off. I know that to many, we are the unwashed, the Samaritan, we are the other, but we are not. We are yours. If you can walk with us, talk with us, hear our stories. The gift of listening is the balm of Gilead. Any thoughts on that from your dear friend who's yeah. gone? Yeah. just uh she just taught me a lot those words are very profound and they are part of us like oh my lgbt brothers and sisters are part of me like you've changed me for good um no matter what my relationship is with the church isn't important to me anymore what's important is that i represent my maker and that i stand in places that make you know that you're loved and that you're perfect. And I miss Roberta tremendously. Like she was always there when I felt down. So silly. She had to be my, my mentor, but she did. And she did a great job. I, 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 I think Berta, I heard, I think Daniel Parkinson, I think Kathy Carlson. I think so many, so many, so many incredible individuals that have um, shared their stories and walked with me in this path and, and taught me. Taught me so many sacred lessons. Thank you. In closing, tell us the, tell us the name of your podcast and how many episodes you've done and what your focus is. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> okay. So um, I have a podcast called Human Stories with Jill Hazard Rowe. It's all LGBTQ voices. So I just, I really was drawn to that title though, Human Stories, because I feel like we're all so much more alike than we are different. And so I really wanted to capitalize on that. Um, how this all happened is a producer came to me in May. It's a, it's a company called the pod mill downtown and at, uh, city Creek. And the producer asked me if I would be on his podcast or if I would do a podcast and I'm sort of a smart A. So I said, well, of course I want my own show, but I was totally joking. And the next thing I know, we're out to lunch and he's talking to me about it and I'm getting so nervous and I'm like backstepping in my mind and thinking, this is so embarrassing. There's people that don't like me. I don't want to put my voice out there. This is crazy. You know what I mean? All the human insecurities. 
And I went home and thought about it. And I'm like, if there is something bigger than all this, Jill, he just gave you an incredible gift. So I told the producer, I'll do this show if people aren't censored, that their stories are their stories, and that I am merely a listener. And so um, my producer is amazing. Shout out to Spencer, Spencer Wright. Um, He said, I'm not KSL, Jill, and I will give you full control of your show. So I said, I don't really know how to do marketing, but... I can, I can get my guess. So, um, we started that in June and I have one a week. So let's do the math. So it's like 30 or 40 episodes. Yeah. So we're still in the baby stages. That's but, way um, past the baby stages. Oh, it is? I think so. It's just been the most incredibly sacred experience because I have these individuals willing to come in and sit in my studio and lay it all on the line and tell these stories. Some are funny, some are heartbreaking, some are um, confusing, um, but they're all incredibly beautiful. And the things that I'm learning through my guests is another incredibly, like, such a great blessing in my life. So it's called Human Stories with Jill Hazard Rowe, and it can be found on Spreaker, Spotify, Google, Apple, probably any any place that you find your favorite favorite podcasts. And again, it's just their voices. It's their stories. We talk about conversion therapy. We talk about um, everything, everything um, that these individuals have, have gone through or are going through right now, they share with us. So I'm really excited for your podcast and encourage our listeners to check it out. I love the podcast platform as a way to amplify LGBTQ voices. And I love what you're doing. Well, thank you. Yeah, I was nervous, but it's not about me. It's about them. I think you're the perfect person to do this. One day when it showed up on my Facebook feed that you were hosting a podcast, that well, that's a natural for Jill. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, and I'm, thank you for your vote, but I... I <laughs> so I just, you know, you know this space well, you love your guests and you know how to talk. And mostly to get them talking, it sounds like what you're doing. Yeah, I just, my goal is to create a safe space for them you know what? A lot of these kids and a lot of adults have never even told their stories. Like Kyle Ashworth, he did two two episodes with me and off mic, he said, Jill, you know, no one's ever asked me my story. And I was blown away because his story is so needed to be heard by everyone. And, you know, I have other guests that will contact me after it's released and say, I never knew how therapeutic that would be. Like, so, you know, that's that's my... That's my opportunity is to just empower their voices and let them share their voices with us. Love that. Do you have any final things you want to share with our listeners? Hmm, not really. I mean, I know that your um your podcast and Richard, thank you for what you do. I mean, I feel like often I have to think about all the lanes that we're all in, you know, in circle and mama dragons and Utah pride, you know, sometimes we get in each other's way and I had to remind, okay, we all are like in a lane and we're all trying for the same outcome. Right. So I know that your audience is a lot, um, for the LDS community. I'm not sure if I fit in that arena anymore. Um, even though I go to sacrament once in a while and partake of the sacrament, I, I really feel like I really feel like God is aware of all of us in this work wherever we're at and whatever we're doing. Um so I guess in closing I just I just like to challenge like you said when you're uncomfortable you know that you have to you have to pursue it, right? That's how I was at the beginning. I'll tell a funny story. Ready? Go for it. In conclusion, when Hunter first came out, he went from like 
really not very popular to the most popular kid. And all these friends of his seem to have no rules. Like they could stay out all night. And so we told Hunter, okay, well, you have to be in by midnight, but your friends can come to our house. So this was very early in the journey. But people just kept coming in the door and going down in the basement. And Lee and I are upstairs in bed. And we were looking at each other with like the covers up to our chins. Like, and I remember just jumping out of bed and he's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going down. He goes, what do you mean you're going down? And I said, I am going to go through every door that scares me. And right now I have no idea who's in our basement, but I am going to go down and I'm going to sit in the middle of those kids and I am going to hear all their stories. And so I went down that night and here I am, poor Hunter, I'm in my bathrobe and I just plop in the middle of this big sectional and I think we all talked to like 3, 3.30 in the morning. And that was just like, that experience has always taught me when, when you're scared or when you don't know or it feels uncomfortable, walk through the door because there's something on the other side that you're going to be taught. And I was taught that night that those young men are amazing. Alex Jensen, shout out to you, are amazing. I um, just all these walls started coming down of who I used to be. And, and I was able to just start connecting with God's children. It's pretty cool. I love that. I love the visual of that. And I love what you did. And I love how it, it learned, you learned. Yeah. So let's just all do that. Let's just all get out of bed and go through the door. Love that. <laughs> Jill Hazard Rowe, moderator of Human Stories. Um, I'll walk with you administrator, mother of a wonderful gay son and six wonderful kids, four grandkids, and just a wonderful... And a husband. And a husband, Lee. Yeah. We know you're there, Lee. Hi, Lee. <laughs> um, and thank you for all your good work. And thank our listeners. The name of this podcast is Listen, Learn, and Love. And this has been a good episode that follows that because I had to listen. I had to be willing to listen um, in my personal journey. And that led to... Op- opening the door to learning as I listened, and then I'm able to better love, which to me is a doctrine of Christ and a core doctrine of Christ that we're able to do as we hear stories. So thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.